0: trail and ultra runners what is going on what's happening welcome to another episode of the coop cast as always i'm your humble host coach jason coop and this episode of the podcast is about the physiological differences between elite trail and road runners and what we can learn from those differences in order to drive the training process on the podcast today is one of our CTS coaches, Frederick Sabator Pastor, who is also the lead author of the paper that we are discussing, which is titled Elite Road versus Elite Versus Trail Runners Comparing Economy, Biomechanics, Strength, and Power. This paper appears in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, and a link to that paper will be in the show notes. For you, longtime listeners of the podcast, Frederick first appeared on the podcast way back in the middle of 2022 in episode 130, where we discussed another paper that he was a co author on. And since then, we hired him on as one of our crack coaching staff. And in this particular podcast, we dive deep into his paper and discuss exactly what it means for your training. This paper has also been covered by Alex Hutchinson for trail runner magazine. And I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. But I think that Fred and I get to the meat of what this paper might mean and include some commentary that only the lead author can provide. An example of that is specifically some of the strength training practices that these athletes were undertaking and how that actually might affect how we view the results. That's enough of a tease. I'm going to get right out of the way. Here's my conversation with Frederick Sabator Pastor, all about the differences in elite road and elite trail runners physiology I just came up, came up with a perfect way to tie all this together initially and I didn't I didn't realize it until literally five minutes ago when I was grabbing a glass of water um you you and I's kind of mutual colleague you know him more than I do Guy M- Mier. One of my first like introductions into the science of ultra running when I was first starting to coach ultra running athletes was a presentation that he gave in 2011. And I don't know why I can remember that date, but it was from 2011. So it's over 10 years ago, 11 years ago. No, 12 years ago now. Jeez, I'm getting old. It was a presentation that he gave super grainy YouTube video at some random, like kind of like random conference. And the title of it was Fatigue and Ultramarathon, which is not what we're going to talk about today. But there's one specific piece in it that I think really illustrates some of the research that, that, that we are going to talk about is he was going through the differences in fatigue from a marathoner to an ultramarathoner and how they might actually be different. And one of the ways that he kind of illustrated the difference was visually, how did the top athletes look? And you have this one slide of a Kenyan or an Ethiopian athlete. I don't remember who it was. And one slide of a top ultra marathon athlete. And you could very you just visually right just tell the anthropometrics were different right the ultramarathon was more muscular the the ethiopian runner was like skinnier they have different stride lengths you know just kind of like everything right off the gate right out of the gate was just so kind of so starkly so starkly different and it kind of like leads into what we're going to discuss today right like what are the actual differences and characteristics between Elite road runners and elite ultra ultra marathon runners. That's not so cliche as just like looking at them, kind of looking at them visually. But you have a really neat background story on how this paper all kind of came to light. Why don't we just start out with how it came to light, and then we can we we can get into the design and what it actually means.
1: okay hey, so yeah, absolutely. I remember that presentation, but I think the first time that I saw that slide was when I was doing my masters, and he was teaching a class. And he put it there. It was like, oh, yeah, they are really different. So, yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> We've never talked about that before. So, that's good. I'm glad you remember that, too.
1: So, yeah, the like the way this study came together was like during the like academic year 2018-2019. And at the beginning of 2019 was when I started my PhD. But then during that academic year, there was uh, a master's student at the University of jean, jean- in France where I did my PhD. And uh, she was, while she was doing her master's degree in like performance optimization, and I don't remember like what the, what the letters stand for, but then like she was at the same time, the, the physical therapist for the trail running team of the French Athletic Federation. So I think like the way they have it organized, it was like for everything that is outside the stadium. So that is like uh, trail running, road running and, and walking so uh, she was the physical therapist and then what happened was that she had to do like her end of master's thesis and she said well we can test uh, the athletes in all of these things because we're i'm going to be going to a training camp so like she was our in into the training camp so the french Athletic federation so we could go and like do all of these studies so uh, what we decided to do for her project Like I was not there at the very beginning, which we just decided we're going to test. Uh, But then was we were going to test road runners, trail runners. We're going to test males and females, and then we're also going to test road and trail runners who are recreational, not elite, which we did in the lab in the lab back home. That is not part of this paper. That is part of another paper that should be coming out that will be showing like differences like between levels and like level differences and sex differences Mm -hmm. in all of these variables. So what happened then was that well great now we have access to the training camps so we want to measure what are the differences between road runners within elite road runners and elite trail runners so now it was like well what are the variables that we want to measure and um, this was a tricky thing because we're doing with elite athletes within that federation and we had to choose things that were going to be important or like relevant for us. But at the same time that the coaches would let us do. Oh, and that is like one of the big yeah. parts why we don't have like, for example, VO2 max test yeah. as part of this. Because like a VO2 max test is like, oh no, we're like at this point in the season, we don't want the athletes to be doing that, or like it's going to be too hard. Like at the same time, like we did some of the strength testing mm. with a sprint on the bike instead of running. And like we can talk about that later. But it's like, yeah, we had to do things that the coaches would let us do because like they had their schedule in the training camp and we're like injected during the training camp, right? So yeah, like either the coaches or the athletes didn't want to like go too hard on some of these things. So that's why we were somewhat limited in what we could do. Because like yeah, those were the that was one of the limitations and the other one was that we had to travel. So like we had mm-hmm. to take the lab, put it in a van and go like we went one twice to different training camps in France and once to Portugal, which was like a twenty hour drive in total. <laughs> <laughs> so like it, was, like it was it was great three of us in a van we stopped at uh, like at my mom's place in spain because it was more or less midway so we slept there <laughs> but yeah it was like 20 hours to go there two driving days to go yeah. there and then two driving days to go to come back to do like basically 15 hours of testing so it was all very cool all very exciting but yeah this is how this study came together
0: oh i want everybody to appreciate for you kind of like two things First off, we can look at these and kind of scrutinize them left, right, and center. Like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? A lot of times, there's just, like you said, there's real world implications that coaches didn't want to do them. So, yeah, you'll take, you'll kind of like take what you can get. The second thing is, is like literally, you're kind of, you're not going to the ends of the earth, but you're going to the ends of Europe, at least to to actually, to actually like conduct a study. And I hope everybody appreciates this. A lot of times, these things uh, are way more complicated to, way more complicated to pull together than than what might appear on the on the pages of the research. So let's dive into it man like describe the study in general and and what you were trying to what you were trying to compare and contrast here.
1: Yeah, all right. So the the goal of the study was to really find out like get a bunch of like very good trail runners and then a group of very good trail runners and then like do some testing that of variables that we thought would be relevant to performance in both road and trail running or like one or the other, and then test if there were actual differences between those variables, uh, between one group and the other. Right. So then, um, and this has never been done before. Like we had zero data. It happens with a lot of things in trail running or mm-hmm. like in ultra running very, very little data. So it was that like check those things that we thought could be different. So one of them was because the like trail running has such a big uphill and downhill component. One thing that we thought was, well, you have to fight gravity and what you were saying before trail runners tend to be more muscular. Like when you look at the pictures sort of things, so it was like, maybe they are stronger. And then we tested for strength in two different ways. One of them was isometric testing and the other one was a sprint test on a bike. And the sprint test on a bike, it's a specific product. I think I'll explain it later. So like the listeners can have it like as one block of information.
0: But you've got two, what you're calling like elite groups of athletes, right? And, And maybe you can provide a little bit of like color, color commentary that's outside of the paper on this. How similar were those groups? Cause that's always the kind of discrepancy that we kind of run into when we're comparing elite road and elite trail runners. Like, are they really kind of similar in terms of their, I don't even know how to describe it, like their eliteness or their competitiveness or whatever, we want to, however we want to say it.
1: Yeah. That is a very good question because like we had a very clear criteria that I'm going to explain right now, but still we don't know if like their physiology is the same because the sports are different. So like to like have a completely like different experience, if you're comparing like I don't know, runners to like American football players, they might have the same level of being elite, but then like, well, yeah, what does being like, how does being elite in one relate to being elite in the other? Like if they are completely different sports, right? Right. So here, like they are very similar sports from the perspective that they are both running, but they are very similar, like very different in like terms of culture, like how much price money there is. So like they may be attracting different people, but then our inclusion criteria was uh were very clear it was like they had to be part of the of the team that the national team was taking to these training camps so that means they were yeah. like top level in France. Yeah now what happens is that top level in France so like basically French national team like in the road team there are people that have run under two two ten for the marathon, and I think like two oh seven uh, like there's two or three that have run under two oh eight or or under two oh nine yeah so like since then so they were like best in France for the road team. And some of them were like up and coming, going to be best in France. And that they were like maybe transitioning from the track and running half marathons at the time. But basically like the French Federation had decided that they were like, we sort of outsourced that to so the French Federation saying that they are elite.
0: Okay. And okay. Same thing. So yeah. what so I was going to ask yeah. what's the, what's the equivalent on the trail side?
1: Yeah. On the trail side, it was basically the same thing The people that were going to this, uh, to these training camps that all of these people are like, most of them had already been in some like national, uh, not national championship, but like international championships. And actually of the, I think we tested like 11, uh, 10, 10 trail runners that were included in the study out of those 10 trail runners, there were the four that that season, like a few months later were like the winning team in the world trail championship. Mm. Right. So like they were the so basically as like and like we know that about the French 12 runners. Some of them are very, very good. Yeah. So like like the French ones are like at the very top of the sport. So like I wanna yeah, France is one of the countries that is always like fighting for uh, those be- positions. So they yeah. were like that, like the best, and then like the people who were basically at then like a few months later fighting with those people. To get on on the world championship
0: team, it meets the reasonability test. Meaning, you're not you're comparing like you know, kind of two different or two very similar apples, right? I mean, yeah, it's never it's never going to be exactly the same, but I think when we're looking at okay, w- what can we really extract from the study? the two co the two cohorts that you had and the fact that it was basically the french teams right i think it takes care of a lot of that and kind of almost takes the bias out of it in terms of we're going to take people's like itra scores and compare it to the 210 marathoners or kind of whatever it, it I, I just i just appreciate the degree of similarity that these two groups would have within their particular sport context
1: yeah exactly so then actually like we report that on the paper after, like, for example, the eTRA score and like, with the eTRA score that they have and then the stats that the eTRA provides, like separately for that year, all of them were, for example, in the top 268 trail runners in the world because they of the category of like eTRA points they were in. And I think that they were all in the top 200. Like the worst one was better than the top 200. And then there were some Mm. like that, like the, the world champions, of that year there was at least one runner that uh, had won the UTMB like within two or three years. I don't remember if it was like before or mm-hmm. after because has also won TBS. So they were like, yeah, good runners. The top of the sport. Yeah, yeah, very,
0: very good, good runners. Runner. Okay. So take the listeners through one one of the things that you're that, that you already mentioned that you're kind of limited by is is the coaches only want to have them do certain tests, right? What are the tests that you kind of settled in on to run the to kind of run the runners through?
1: Okay, hey, so like the first thing that we wanted to test for was that strength that what we said before. So like for yep. strength, we had uh, two different types of tests. We had isometric strength tests, which was like put the put the runners in like a chair that is more or less like a knee extension machine that you will yep. find, but like instead of that, has like a very precise force uh, measurement device. So, like, you can measure both when, like, they are extending and flexing. Well, it's isometric, they are not moving, right? But, like, when they are pushing out and when they are pulling in, so you can measure, basically, the strength of the knee extension and the knee flexors in summary of the quads and the hamstrings, right? We wanted to do that because, like, that gives very precise numbers. They are very reproducible. Like, you can measure it, like, if I'm not sure right now, like, it's in the paper, but, like, if we probably took, like, three measurements with, like, At least one minute of rest between them. And like each one is like a three second contraction. And then you take the highest one of like three of them that are very close. So that is like very precise data. The other way that we did was a force velocity profile. And this I may have to explain. So, like when you have a force velocity profile, uh, it like tries to draw a line of like where are you? Like when you're producing some power, some like when you're doing some movement, what is your physiology in terms of like do you use more force for that or do you use more? velocity like the easiest way to explain it i find it cycling so you can have someone hitting 1000 watts but to hit 1000 watts are you doing like can you do that at 60 rpm so like at low rpm but like putting a lot of force on the pedals or do you go to very high rpm with less force on the pedals right so then is that like are you more like like the image that we often use like are you more like a tractor that is that has a lot of power right? But develops it like slowly with lots of strength or more like a Ferrari or like a Formula One car that has like many more revolutions. Right. So it gets more speed, even if they have the same horsepower. Right. At the end. Right. So for that, we use a bike test. It is one thing that like the reviewers criticized us for, like ask us the question, like, why didn't you use a running test? Because you can do it with a screen test. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly the like the thing that the coaches said, like. These are trail runners, these are ultra marathon runners. Like this guy run the UTMB, they don't know how to sprint. Like you're <laughs> going to break them if you made them sprint. Maybe with the road runners, they will have let it fly, but absolutely not with the trail runners. Yeah. They were like, what? No, we're not def- definitely not letting them sprint. And actually, mm-hmm. we get worse data because sprinting has more of a skill component. Yes. than Just like stomping on the pedals. Yeah.
0: That's actually what I was going to mention is, is when sometimes you, when you do that in one of the groups is novel to the activity, you're bringing out the novelty or the the fact that they don't do it as opposed to the actual physiological profile.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah. that is like uh, pretty like, I mean, I think I think was another way in which you can test for that is with a series of jumps, yeah. like squat jumps with like yeah. a bar. And yep. they were like, like most of the trail runners don't try train, train. Like you're not going to make them jump with a bar on their back. Like they're going to break themselves. Yeah, and like sometimes like, what's yeah. funny but like seeing them move Was well, like I would not be surprised if they yeah. got in trouble by doing that. So yeah, yeah that was for strength. Okay. So then you have two, other, you
0: have two basically like quote unquote strength markers, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That would be like the strength and power from the bike and then the strength from the isolated muscle groups.
0: Okay, perfect. And
1: then we also had cost of running so basically running economy that was like we took our treadmill from france all the way to portugal and to everywhere else that we went and then on that little treadmill so it had to travel it was not the most powerful treadmill in the world and that was a problem because then we had to choose speeds that were low enough uh for the treadmill to not go crazy and also like the incline yeah. to go past 10 percent incline so what we settled on was Making them run at 10% on a flat treadmill at 14, uh, I mean, at 10 kilometers per hour flat, 14 kilometers per hour uh, up, and I should translate that to like miles per hour at least. So, like, 10 is going to be like about 6.2 miles per hour, right? Or like 10 kilometers per hour is actually a 10 minute pace.
0: Yeah, 10 minute pace. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then 14 kilometers per hour, which is going to be about 7 minute pace, if I'm right, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So, so there are pages that are not super fast for these runners, but we also wanted to compare them with the with the women.
0: Oh, okay. So yeah,
1: this is part of the reason that like we wanted all the elites to be similar in that way, and then like when the other paper comes out, hopefully we will see more of that because like that's always uh, one problem that you have when measuring running economy: do you measure at the same absolute speed or yeah. do you measure at the same relative speed? Yeah. The problem is that to know the relative speed, you need to do these maximal tests.
0: Exactly. Yeah, because so you want to we you want to we be under we threshold right. for the running economy test. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So that's why we could not put them at the same relative intensity. So we chose okay. like the other option.
0: Okay. So you got running economy. Yeah. At running flat economy, level and then up a up a ten percent grade. At
1: ten percent grade, exactly. Okay. And then after that, the other thing was that during that we measured biomechanical parameters. So like we put like it's a little device that has like a like a laser thingy, like what goes in the elevator and basically like every time you cut it knows that your foot is on the ground and yeah. when it's not like your foot is in the air. Right. Um, so we're measuring like contact time, flight times, all of that at, during the running economy test. So what all of those speeds and, and inclines.
0: So you got a little bit of strength and power, a little bit of classic endurance and the running economy mm-hmm. side of things and some biomechanics, yeah, right? Those absolutely. kind of three exactly. general ca- categories that you're comparing and contrasting against.
1: And then the other thing that we had was a questionnaire, which is something that I will kick myself for ever, but <laughs> we just use a questionnaire <laughs> instead of like, come on, like they all have watches, like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. like I wish I had been there earlier in the decision process for all that stuff. And maybe I don't know, because then we will have run into the coaches saying like, we don't want to share that data. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. Uh, like we have a questionnaire in which they reported like during the previous, I don't remember right now, but like six months or a year, like their monthly training hours. Yeah. For different things like running, total endurance training, like including cross training. Well they they did like thing by thing and then we clustered it in like running only and endurance training, which training, which includes cross training, strength training, and then total training, which yeah. includes all of the previous hours.
0: So you can so compare yeah. and contrast the strength, you can compare and contrast the running economy in a couple of different variables, you can compare and contrast the biomechanics, and you can compare and contrast the the overall training volume and modes and yeah, things exactly. like that yeah big gross yeah. big gross comparisons on the training side of things hmm. okay so now everybody point. wants to know what's this what's similar and what's different
1: yeah okay so then first of all when we measure the strength with the uh, isometric machine like just pushing against any immovable resistance, there were no differences.
0: Okay, so there, no well,
1: there were no differences when uh, when compared to body weight. Okay, because which is what we with The trail runners were a bit bigger yeah. than the road runners, so then there was absolutely no difference. Uh, they were basically the same pound for pound. However, when we measured it on the on the force velocity profile, which was like a, a dynamic exercise, mm-hmm. this time they were pedaling on the bike. And to do this test, like we set two different resistances on the bike and they start from like a dead stop start and then they start pedaling. So basically the first one we the first pedal stroke require a lot of force. Yeah. Right. And then like you require less force and it's harder to apply force because you are going at a higher speed. So this is how we measure it. In that case, we did measure higher forces and higher powers. Like Absolute in absolute terms, and then we measured still higher forces in relative terms, so okay. relative to body weight, which means that basically at the end of the day, the, the trail runners are stronger. Like, these cohort of trail runners were stronger than the road runners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like your and couch like, there.
0: This group of trail runners is stronger than this yeah. group of road runners. Very, very, very accurate.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, that that does make us think that, like, these, like they are different in terms of strength. And it was actually very interesting. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself because the road runners did much more strength training,
0: which is so interesting. We're going to get to that in a little bit. So that that's kind of the first material thing, right? This the the the, across these two groups, the trail runners are stronger.
1: Yeah, exactly. Trail runners are stronger.
0: Okay. So, So, but
1: only when and this is like very like an important part. That when you do this dynamic movement, like if you mm -hmm. just measure it isolated, like. We may we would have missed it if yeah. we were just measuring that. So it's very, like very good that we decided to have this dynamic movement, yeah. in which we could actually measure it.
0: Okay, so let's move to the second piece, which is the running, running economy, economy piece.
1: And that we can go to running economy and biomechanics together because for yeah. the biomechanics, like I will just spoil it. There was nothing interesting, which was surprising to us because in general, it's like yeah, people with uh, shorter contact times have better running economy right. and stuff like that. But like we saw. It might have been like lack of statistical power, but we saw no differences. Hmm.
0: Which it's is once again super interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah, but like at the same time, as a caveat, we're only measuring like time that the foot spends on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you have, I'm sure that if you have like the whole set of like cameras in which we're measuring the angle of every single joint, we would be able to see more differences, right? But like the way that we we're that we, what taking into account what we we're measuring, like that, like flight time, contact time the ratio between the flight time and the contact time, that sort of stuff, there was no difference.
0: Can you that. can you extrapolate a little bit in terms of, do you think that the conditions that you were able to test under with the speed and the grade, do you think that that had an impact on not seeing those differences? Like it wasn't fast enough and, or it wasn't steep enough. It's kind of what I'm getting at.
1: I do think so. Like, to an extent, because like the other thing, what I was saying about like the method of measurement that we we're, that we were using, which is the most basic. Like in the lab, we also have all of these like cameras in which you can measure like the angle of your pinky. Yeah,
0: finger, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, right. Yeah, so yeah. like,
1: if you start doing that, like you will see differences. Like even like in how you carry your arms and that sort of stuff, which was like this was interesting because for us as we we're seeing it, was like oh, look at how this one runs and look at how this one runs and look at how this one, and we were appreciating some differences. But at the level of like the foot contacting the ground, we're not seeing that. Mm. And then that, like, I'm sure that if we had gone to like eighteen, twenty kilometers per hour, which would be like, yeah, getting closer to five million miles, yeah, we would have seen it because then definitely the trail runners are not used to running at those speeds. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, a couple of them that actually like came to the lab later to do some testing and stuff like that, uh, and we made them run at faster speeds because we did an incremental test with them that had nothing to do with this study. Yeah. Like you could see that at faster speeds, like their arms are flailing more and that sort of stuff. <laughs> you, yeah.
0: So you, you don't know this. I had, uh, our, uh, our head, uh, lab technician, Renee, who I've known for, for years does all of our lactate threshold and VO2 max tests. I had her at my house, uh, yesterday recording a podcast that'll come out before this podcast. And we were theorizing a little bit on how we would take a standard graded, graded exercise test and adapt it into the ultramarathon world. And her, the, the nickel version of that, uh, uh, of that brainstorm, not to rehash the podcast that people probably listen to, is, is we just make it slower. <laughs> like that's kind of it right we just somehow we'd make it slower we'd increase the grade earlier we would uh you know even start them at a walk or something like that but just like slow the whole thing down so that the speed doesn't confound what we want to see from a bioenergetics perspective which it can get problematic when you don't train at those types of speeds so anyway. yeah, absolutely
1: that is also something that we have seen in our lab when testing trail runners that for some reason we're testing them on like a flat for like other different studies we're testing them on a, using a flat test. Like, yeah. We had that problem, like yeah. arms slaling and then saying like, yeah, the problem is that my legs cannot keep up yeah. with the treadmill. Like I'm not that like it's hard, but it's not that hard. It's my legs that cannot keep up.
0: Yeah. People have to keep in mind that like the graded exercise testing protocols that we that we use, they were designed for a very specific cohort. And that specific cohort is elite. Marathon, 10K, and 5K runners, in the emphasis on the word elite. So, when we try to do it with like normal, just normal runners, right? Normal marathon runners, sometimes those protocols don't like show you the same things, you know, or you have to adapt them to a certain extent. And it's not quite an apples to apples comparison. But then when you take it across another sport group, and we see this a little bit in triathlon, right? Because triathlon will use a cycling test that's meant for a cyclist and a running test that's meant for a runner. Um, But when when you take those tests that were developed for a specific cohort and then you take them into another running cohort, right, in this case, it's trail ultramarathoners, even when they're elite, you kind of run into some just issues with the with the run of show in terms of in terms of the testing. That's neither that's neither here nor there. So no differences in running economy or any of the biomechanical properties.
1: No, no differences in the biomechanical properties, but there were differences in running economy. We found differences in running economy. At fourteen kilometers per hour, so about seven minute per mile pace. At the faster speed, we did find differences, and the road runners were faster, which was like our initial hypothesis was, yeah. okay, at the at during faster road faster flat speed, the road runners will have better running economy because it's their specific their specific thing mm-hmm. right, And then the trail runners will be more economical when running uphill. The surprising part for us was that we didn't find any differences. During the uphill running, mm. I think that a big part of that is the fact that we tested them at 10 percent incline, and at yeah. 10 percent incline, like they are still running. Yeah, like the and mm. uh, like, like what I think is like what if we had done one of those like what they used to do in Roger Cram's lab in Boulder, right? Like put them up at like 20 percent incline, 30 percent grade, something like that, and then like. They're not running. They're going to be walking. What is their walking economy in that case, right? Or like these like running to walking transition. How are they managing it better to adapt to their better running economy? It's runners and the road runners. So,
0: yeah. You know, that's a common theme in a lot of compare and contrast type of literature, especially with elite athletes, is you kind of have to go to the extremes to figure out where they're really different. And that's just because they're so good. Right. They're just such yeah. good. They're just such good athletes across a variety of situations. You got to kind of get into the, the, the nuance or the extreme of the nuance to really t- kind of tease out some of those. So there, there was a slightly higher cost of running, higher running economy, worse running economy to kind of put it in layman's perspective with the trail running group at the faster speed.
1: Yeah, at the faster speed on flat ground.
0: Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. It was like,
1: yeah, it makes sense. Like we had marathon runners that yeah. their easy runs were being done probably between seven minute miles <laughs> and six minute miles. Yeah. Mile. yeah. right. So that like all of, they were probably, these guys were probably like the marathon runners were probably putting, I don't know, like That's
0: easy. six to yeah. 10
1: hours per week. Mm-hmm. at speeds within like I don't know like yeah. 10 or 20% yeah. of that yeah. right? whereas the marathon runners like that easy pace yeah. might like for many of them may be like spinning up a hill yeah, yeah. right up a mountain <laughs> like, yeah. which might have like very high vertical speeds but yeah. not really yeah
0: probably a little bit of a weakness speed. of the study is the speeds are just a little bit too slow for the groups right Yeah, yeah.
1: That the, the speeds are a bit too low and that the 10% incline is uh, yeah. like too small and yeah, that was yeah. like it was the treadmill that we could put in the van and transport yeah like, i wish we would have taken the one that goes to 20 kilometers per hour but like i have tried to move that treadmill and like we need a ton of people in the lab to move that one treadmill that we had that was great and then like that can go like forwards and backwards so you can also do all down yeah that
0: trust me dude, possible, I've, yeah. I've, we've moved our woodway at our in our testing facility three times everyone it's like a superhuman all hands on deck effort that requires you know lift gated truck and you know, it's a nightmare it's a total nightmare
1: yeah so that like we've had three guys on a van
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're not moving one of those big treadmills like that hope, once again yeah. i hope everybody appreciates some of these limitations because they're real <laughs> okay let's so let's go to the training because it's super interesting and then we're kind of gonna like back into <laughs> the non most of the non-differences i think in the compare and contrast because the training piece of it is that is, is is a little bit fascinating to me
1: yeah so the training piece like total training duration was higher for road compared to trail
0: which is and then, really interesting
1: <laughs> yeah which i found really interesting because then like is that like uh we had so like i have the numbers right now in front of me so the road runners were reporting 79 hours of training per month okay which is about 20 hours per week yep. if you count just four weeks to a month yep and the trail runners were reporting 43.6 hours per month yeah which is about 10 hours per 10 hours per week. Yeah. And like a big part of that was the that the fact that the trail, that the road runners did much more cross training and much more uh, resistance training, but even then they were doing more running training.
0: Right. So even if you just took out everything else the run training was still higher.
1: Yeah, like if you count I think that the average running training of the road runners was bigger than the total training of the trail runner. Mm.
0: Do you know about average uh, how much strength training the road runners are doing?
1: It was like the, it varied because there were some that were zero, but yeah. like it was between like zero on about ten hours per week. That's uh, a and lot like of strength. Average, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, not ten hours per week. Ten hours per month.
0: Oh, okay, got it, got
1: it. So yeah, like that would be like the ones that were doing a lot of training, of train training. I think they were doing about three hours per per week. Yeah. And the average must be from what I'm seeing right now in the graphics. I don't have those specific numbers in front of me. About five hours per month. So I would say like either one session per week or two like thirty-minute sessions per week.
0: So what jumps out to you on the training side of things initially?
1: The biggest thing is like what you said before, like that the volume of the of training of the road runners is basically double.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. When the,
1: when the road runners are training for races that, in this case, are like less than two hours and fifteen minutes. Yeah. And the road runners are and the trail runners are training for races that for some of them the UTMB, the world championship (laughs) that year, I think it was like 80 kilometers more or less. So about a 50 miler, I think it was like 84 kilometers, so like 52 miles or something. But yeah, it to me it was like crazy when I was seeing that. But then like we can go into the reasons why and like what I was seeing at the training camp. So like, for example, at the training camp, when we were testing the runners and like, we were like on an indoor track facility that they have there. And there were other athletes that were, they were there, like, they were taking pictures and videos for their stories, for the Instagram, for their sponsors, mm. basically. Right. Yeah. Whereas in conversation with the coaches of the twelve runners, like there's a documentary like one of them that isn't like the team that won the national champion the not the national the the world championship yeah i think he was part of that team he's a baker and gets up every day <laughs> at so, like four in the morning or something like that like every single day of the week he wakes up at four in the morning works until whatever it is like 10 man. and then he goes for his run
0: well i mean here here's where the compare and contrast is kind of like outside of the paper right the two groups might i was giving you a lot of credit for them being like equally matched from a competitive or an eliteness standpoint they're certainly not matched on professionalism right which you which you yeah. couldn't do and i mean that with all due respect but in terms of how they treat the craft of being a professional athlete as a professional very clearly on the trail side of things they have to you know, be a baker as well or whatever other side job that some of them have in order to kind of meet ends, make ends meet. And that, that a hundred percent impacts the amount of training volume that you can do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like that, talking to another one of the coaches saying like, oh yeah, this guy, like he has to commute and like that's his, his training is his commute. Yeah, every day, but yeah, that's yeah. basically his training because then he has like three kids at home or whatever it was. Like there was all of that stuff that is, and like, this is very interesting at the same time because they were like the best road runners in France, but like you haven't seen any like headlines of people saying, yeah. like, this French running yeah. runner yeah. is the best in the world. And the French guys were the ones that won the world championship. Yeah, exactly. You so can like, make a case the that world. they're
0: better, right? Like, proportionally, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're
1: so better. Yeah, like they're yeah. better in their sport. Yeah. But, well, like, that's why, are they really better if they are training less? They are doing lots <laughs> no. of all of these. Yeah. So, it opens this whole kind of forms, but then, like, trail runners will get mad at me.
0: <laughs> well, well, we'll leave that bait for, debate for some, some other time. That's more of a, that's more of an in-bar debate versus a over-the-podcast debate. Yeah. He, here's what stuck out to me. I completely agree with you on the training side of it. But actually combine it with some of the other results. So, you have trail runners who are training less, markedly less, doing... No strength training, hardly any strength training, especially compared to the road running group, yet they're still stronger. Yeah. So you can kind of take that one of two ways, right? One, there's just for whatever reason, they're self-selecting into that sport because they have some physical property that, you know, that where they're stronger. Second thing you take it is, is just the act of doing the sport itself because they're clearly not training for strength, right? Clearly, just the act of doing the sport itself elicits some sort of strength response that is superior to all the strength training and all of the additional training and all of the faster training. Let's remember that, right? Marathon training is going to be faster training that the, that the marathon group is actually going to. That part of it was actually not the fact that they were stronger, but that they were, they're stronger despite what all of those which you could perceive as headwinds right in the strength department to actually fight uh the fact that they were actually still stronger despite all of those was absolutely fascinating
1: and there are two things there that i think are like one problem with the study that is like we ask them what are you doing for strength training but that is basically like time spent in the gym but some of them might be doing and i have seen some of them train and like we could have a big argument about like what is really strength training. Oh like, yeah. Like between like, like yeah. it was not like, like for some of them, some of them did heavy strength training and like going on squatting, like four repetitions with their six one RM, yep. uh, uh, with their six RM weight basically. Right. So like getting close to this. Yeah, that's heavy, to weight. heavy weight.
0: Yeah. It's heavy weight.
1: Yeah. And some of them were just doing like, I will go I will do some squats and some lunges and some of these like, like pre-hub exercises mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Like there was a component of both of them. And then there was a huge variety between like, yeah. they were much more similar in terms of like how they train than in terms of how, uh, like how they run than in how they yeah. strength train. And like, we did not capture all of those details yeah. because like our questionnaire was limited.
0: That's a constant flaw of everything in strength training. I mean, anybody who's listening to this podcast for any length of time, anytime I bring Sarah and Nicole on and we, we talk about strength training. One of the things that we just go around and around on is, is it's an umbrella that we put too many activities underneath and we call it by the same thing. We put physical therapy exercises with very, you know, minimal amounts of resistance, you know, there bands and body weight and things like that in the same category of something that's like, super heavy that you're doing five repetitions of right where you're getting really really close to that like six or eight rep, rep max range those two things wouldn't be different or those two things shouldn't be the same category but yet we, yeah. we kind of always do it but still though like despite those differences it's still a something to nothing comparison Right, that that's kind yeah, of what yeah. I'm saying because I'm going through the same things in my mind when I'm reading through the lines as as you just went through. There's probably a variety of strength training activities that the road runners are doing, but still, it's a something to nothing comparison, and still, you see the greater strength being elicited in the, in the trail running group. So, like, what did the group think about that when you? when you kind of like found that out what did you guys discuss amongst yourselves
1: yeah like one of the possible things that might be happening is that so much running training which is so much running training with the lack of the strength component right maybe harming the like the muscle mass for example all that stuff so like maybe mm-hmm. actually the, the strength training what we doing is upsetting that a bit right uh but then like that is the other thing and i would also say that the road run, like the trail runners were not super skinny, super worried about like keeping a very low body weight. So like this is like a wild guess as well. Mm. But I'm thinking that the trail runners may be like recovering better in terms of nutrition hmm. and like not not thinking about it much, uh, in terms of trying to be super skinny at like the I like we didn't test them like right before their race, right? But then like I'm wondering this is, like something that I wonder like were the road runners like short in protein or something like that, or like they, in a more catabolic state in general, that then the, strength, the extra strength training could not compensate for, and that could be because of nutrition or because of the higher training volume or the combination of both.
0: I mean, here, see, here's what I would look at it. Here's the way that I would look at it if I were one of the road runners. I'm doing strength training and I'm not stronger than somebody who is not doing strength training. That to me is a training error. Like if you saw that, if you saw that difference get teased out and I were these athletes coaches, which I'm, which, which I'm not, I would look at that and go, crap, we need to figure out something. Something is not working here. That's neither here nor there because we don't know like the intricacies of the programming. But through my coaching lens, when I see things like that, I think of instantly what I think of is, is there some sort of programming error? Whenever you are trying to elicit a specific adaptation and with strength, hopefully, if you're train if you're strength training, you should be training for strength. You should be able to elicit. not just a little bit markedly higher strength profiles, no matter how you're testing them as compared to a group that's not doing any strength training, that would be Mm -hmm. like me saying, listen, I'm going to take an endurance, you know, trained group and, a group that's not training for endurance at all we would expect the endurance training group to have better physiological parameters across all of the endurance things that we're measuring vo2 max and lactate threshold and things like that if we were to see that in the endurance world we'd look at this and go and something that this endurance group is doing is not doing its job correctly because they're not performing any better across the thing that they're supposed to be training for as compared to this other group that's not doing any training that's more I don't know how to solve that. But it kind of leads us into the like final piece of this, right? We've got this compare and contrast a- across two groups who are reasonably well matched. You know, it's it, the the training part of it is certainly weird. That's the only way that I can describe it. But what can the athletes take away from this that can kind of impact their training or their knowledge of how to train on a day-to-day perspective? We tend to draw and the reason that I that I get into this Is we do draw a lot of inspiration from training from the traditional endurance sports, mainly marathon, somewhat to a certain extent, 10K, maybe even like long distance triathlon or Ironman triathlon. We do draw the we do draw training inspiration from that. What can we learn in that whole process from looking at these two different groups and coming up with how they're similar and how they're different?
1: What I do think is that, like, the biggest thing that we saw was what we were happy just talking about, like this strength component, the the strength and power component being, uh, like being better in elite world runners compared to world runners, right? So then I think that there, like, there is a need to train that. What the next step there is, like, okay, yeah, they need to train that. Does it come from like actually doing strength training? Yeah. Or is going to come from, Is it going to come from, like? Maybe just doing like the heel training and like focusing on the heel training and like doing well-programmed heel training, taking into account that that, that is going to be a big part of how you develop your strength, which could be
0: yeah. or like
1: this specific strength for yeah. trail running.
0: And this kind of illustrates that, that second point, right? Like you can't, like you can out strength perform an athlete who is doing strength training just through the the trail tra- tra- the trail running mode of exercise right you can get superior strength adaptations just by doing that as compared to strength training not to say that you can't combine them and make them even better but i I, once again that i think that that's the fascinating result in all this
1: yeah i think that that is like one of the big takeaways and but even then i would love to see the study of someone like comparing that like having trail runners and actually putting them to strength train like in one of those like traditional protocols of heavy strength training and mm-hmm. seeing what happens to, like, both their strength, but especially, like, their uphill running performance or their downhill running performance, whatever you want, like, choose to, to think that is going to be the best. Like, actually, there is some research now going on that is looking at that and, like, this durability thing, like, is it yeah. going to improve your running economy after a few hours, for example?
0: Well, here is... Yeah, because I'll keep going, sorry.
1: But yeah. No, no, that, that that is, like, one component. Is like, yeah, maybe strength, training improves your running economy when you're not fatigued by like 1%, but then like after two hours of running, like in the last two hours of your trail running race, like the last 10K of a marathon, maybe yeah. it has like a big impact on like yeah. allowing you to get less worse.
0: Yeah. Here, here, Here's another takeaway. another training takeaway that I take, that he that seems to keep coming up time and time again. And I feel like, the more it comes up and the more I recognize it, like 10 years from now, I'm going to get burned for, for like making this statement. But the fact that you see 14 kilometers an hour result in a difference in running economy between the two, I wouldn't think that that would be fast enough. Like when I looked at that, I'm like, this is not fast enough for this these levels of athletes that it's really going to kind of like make a difference. The fact that it actually does make a difference kind of reinforces some of the earlier stuff that like, man, it's like traditional running economy. And what I mean by that is put somebody on a treadmill at 14 kilometers an hour on, in a flat level condition. Traditional running economy, that might not be the best thing to aim for, for from a training perspective. And certainly kind of using the like this more of a compare and contrast model, it's kind of become Like a hero maker right in the road running world where it's like the not the only but the main kind of like separator in the in the elite uh, category, people chase that people chase that variable around, right? They chase it around with strength training. You see you see that in your cohort, right? You see that in your elite road marathon cohort. They're doing strength training by and large, not exclusively. But a big reason for that is to improve their running economy. They chase it around in other ways: nutritional interventions, equipment with the you know carbon fiber plated shoes and things like that. And when I see these differences, it just kind of re, like reinforces that. Hey, man, maybe that variable is not. It's certainly not as material as it is in road running. How material it is is kind of up to the eye you of know, the beholder. But that's another thing that I take away from that is is that we see these running economy differences that you re- I do, I would, really wouldn't expect it at 14 K an hour. You might have, but I just don't think it's fast enough, even with the trail runners. I don't think it's fast enough, but it just kind of comes back to man, maybe that might not be something that we chase around.
1: Yeah. I, that is one very good point. And like well, one reason why it is chased by the elite runners. I think it is that it's like of the endurance determinants, like the physiological yeah. determinants of endurance being like, build uh, to max, like threshold, or whatever you want to call that one insurance and running economy it is the one that you can change with like non-training interventions and legally
0: yeah because yeah
1: everyone else yeah. involves doping basically yeah, right or yeah. like maybe caffeine can help you yeah, yeah. with like the insurance part or something but yeah. like basically everyone everything else involves do- doping and there's where you can put like stuff like that the interventions the technology like the carbon plate shoes all that sort of stuff what happens then is that in trail running, I think that uh, we have, I have mentioned this to like uh, you and the other coaches at CTS before, but the intro running, like there's many, many things that make it different from running on a treadmill. Yeah. Like between road running and treadmill running, you're running on a flat surface, but it's completely level that you just have to run on. And there are differences because treadmill is moving and the road is not And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And there's, there's a wind yeah. and there's going to be turns, right? But then, like, if you go from there to trail running, like, in trail running, like every single step that you take in a 100 mile race with maybe like 100,000 steps, you need to choose where you put your foot. If yeah. It's a technical race, like yeah. every single one of them. Like that, yeah. uh, just like from the mental perspective. Yeah. And there is one study that I, I cited in my thesis about like the this running economy thing, in which they put tra- and they put road runners or I think word track runners and orienteers. If they made them run on a track the running economy was not different, but then they made them run through the forest, like go yeah, from this point right. to this point, following this course on the forest. And then like the track runners got much worse.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: So it was like, right. it's a very specific adaptation of yeah. like, and it may be that it may not be physiological. It may be like, Choosing where you put your foot picking your line. Yeah. Skill. Skill. Uh, Exactly. Uh, Skill. Yeah. And concentration that might be much, much more important than the physiology of like whatever your legs and tendons or mitochondria are doing when just running at a steady pace. Yeah. Also that like all the changes in like the micro changes in pace that are going to have an impact.
0: Yeah. I, I, the study that you mentioned, I'll link up in the, uh, I'll link up at the show notes because I think that's an interesting one, but yeah, I keep kind of coming back to this and you could, once again, you can kind of take two flavors of it. You can just say, listen, for whatever reason, it's just not as important. The speed makes it less important. The terrain makes it less important or whatever. Or the other thing that you can take into consideration is, is, Trail trail and ultra running is more complex. The perform like the ultimate performance is more of a complex soup of things that go into it as compared to road road running. That's not to denigrate it at all. It's just kind of the fact it's longer. It contains more skill. It goes up and down trails and all those other things. It's more complex. And because it's more complex, each individual variable is going to just matter less because there's more of them, right? That's just simple. There's just simple math, right? So I think that like one of the, one of the hero takeaways here is, is, is we don't need to chase it around in the same degree we do in 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 marathon running like using that principle of we derive a lot of training inspiration from some of the other sports here's something where we need to like temper that inspiration down a little bit to in order to kind of like meet the relevance of it in the sport that we're actually talking about
1: yeah and i think that that is like a very interesting point because like if we look at the typical ways in which you would try to enhance running economy in old runners, they would include like the strength training part and then like the mileage itself and then maybe doing stuff like strides or higher speed running and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And what happens is that like even if it's true that running economy matters, what matters is the running economy running on the trail. Right. And you're going to right. get that by sure. running a lot on the trail. Yeah, so yeah. maybe actually what is yeah. happening is that every like training minute that you're spending, like I don't know, doing fast strides or stuff like that, you could be spending it Training on your specific terrain, like whatever, like if it's gravel for your race mm-hmm. on gravel roads. And then if it's uh, that, like if it's super technical terrain, like Rocky and rooty, then like training on that, that will help you improve your running economy in that specific contest. Even if it doesn't nothing for your running economy. <laughs> <Yeah. but definitely.
0: laughs> you know, your, your uh, trail running cohort kind of accentuates that, right? Because they have such a lower training volume and they're probably doing it in a more specific way. Right, because they know they can't like waste. They can't like waste time doing other things. They're like, hey, if I'm gonna be at the bakery at four a.m., I'm gonna be hitting the trails like right when I get off of work, and that's what I'm gonna run. I'm gonna run trails the entire time because all this other stuff, it's not specific to the deal. But your point is well taken. That I, I do, I do think that there's some sort of I don't, I don't know what to call it. You know, there's like a like a specific locomotion economy. You know, over trails or kind of whatever. But but I do I, I do think that it's a much different context in in trail and ultra running, and I do think that the way that we train for it, we at least, we at least need to think about a whole lot differently, and not just say these are the standard ways that we improve running economy in the road running world, and just copy pasting those into the trail world. I think we need to scrutinize that a little bit more from a training perspective, and and the easiest way to scrutinize it is to put it into put those interventions into the environment where they matter the most. So like you said. Strides over, you know, kind of technical terrain, right? Might be a great, you know, might be a, a great type of way to do it. Strength training or plyometric types, types of training that are not in a gym, that are more in a more natural environment can accomplish those things. I think that those are the types of training strategies that people need to look at when they're trying to figure out, okay, I've got 10 more minutes to do an adjunctive intervention here. What am I going to do? Am I going to do strides yeah. on the track or am I going to do strides on the trail? Good strides on the trail.
1: Exactly. Yeah, like stripes on the trail or like trying to do like i don't know like stuff that i have tried that i don't know like if it works or not right but like you're on the trail you're on a relatively technical trail and then try to take longer steps like than you would take normally so like you have to choose yeah. like going from, bouncing yeah. from rock to rock so you're doing some kind of like low level plyometric training yeah. in a way that includes like whatever it is the instability the not just like what you're doing, like box jumps in the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I think there I think there's something I think there's something to that. Uh, once again, I'm not saying completely sell out and don't get in the gym. But I just think that thinking about it in a specific way is 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 super important. Okay, you ready for some for some pure banter, pure entertainment banter? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, no no relevance to yeah, yeah like no running banter. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that was the original tagline of this that I'm gonna get, I'm gonna move away from, but we'll do it anyway for this one. So, in your estimation, after actually doing these research, can the can we'll make it specific? Can the French elite marathon runners come into the trail and ultra world? And dominate. How many years? As as, as is, like they just as take is. their take their physiology and their training. They're training twice as much. <laughs> take their physiology and their training, and then come into the ultra world.
1: Yeah, I think that it was Jim Wantley that said at some point, like, bring them with me to the canyon, and then like we'll see who comes <laughs> out first. And I think he was right <laughs> with that. Like, I think that. Absolutely not, because it's like a completely... I, I think that to some extent, like using Jim Walsh as an example, like that he decided that his mountain training was not good enough to succeed at the UTMB. So like he had to move to France to like a yeah. more mountainous environment. And like even then, I I think that the marathon runners are good at running. And I think that ultra marathon running is much more than running.
0: Yeah. I and think- to
1: that, like the other day I was talking to... To an athlete that is considering like uh, going, trying to set a world record in a Spanish race, and like it was like, well, yeah, how good are you at like running at night? And it was like, well, I never run at night except in races. And I said, like, well, I don't know if you have to run at night. Like, I don't mean that you have to spend all night long, but you should be comfortable running with a headlamp, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, on and like, and then like he told me a story about at some point I what was it? like he like. Beginning of the race, it started raining. He "Like, oh no, I'm, to, I'm not going to put like my my shell jacket on because like I will warm up once we start." Right, then, exactly. Like, a mistake, and <laughs> like that's not going to happen in marathon runners except for that time that like Kawauchi won Boston.
0: Yeah, there's right? London. Like, I remember that. Won, that
1: one time, right? Yeah. Like, and it's one time that we remember. It's like it can easily be every other race into running. Yeah, so, in which like yeah. that like weather has like a very big impact, and then at that point it's going to be like small decisions, like do I put the jacket on or not? Do I take it off or not? Like, and that must be trained and Like they cannot just come and do it. Like, even if they have probably better physiology, yeah. they will not be able. Like, first of all, there's the jump of the physiology from there to the ultra, like with the heels and everything. But then there's the, all the decisions making, making skill, like a trail runner, like, or like a ultra marathon trail runner is somewhere between a runner and a mountaineer, I would say. Mm. Right to some extent and like then it depends like more of that in europe and america more of that for hard rock that for western states maybe right but like there is a bit of a combination between the two sports like that's why i think we have like we see very good like ski mountaineers doing that because ski mountaineers i'm getting into it now like every time that you reach the top you have to do 15 things with your backpack yeah exactly and do this and then like you you use that time (laughs) to fuel and all that stuff like it's like well yeah you have to do many things and it's like yeah, how fast are you with your like putting things on in the backpack and in the mouth and, like can you find things in your backpack with your eyes closed like, yeah 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 here's marathon the runner has never ever done that
0: here, here well yeah you're absolutely right marathoners probably never done that unless they have that experience which hardly any of them do here, here's what i think i think it's worth about 10 percent. i think if you take 10 like a 10% better physiological uh road runner, right? They're going to perform at about the same level as that 10% worse person on the trails. Like that's how much of the spe- of spe- and it might even be more than that. I might be undershooting that now that I'm thinking about it. But it takes that much. So if you take somebody with you know, a 70, you know, 70 VO2 Max, a trail runner, you're gonna have to have somebody that's like 77 or 80 VO2 max and whatever the running economy, you know, lactate threshold e- equivalents of the of those are on the road on the road running side, transplant them on the trail to even get it close. I I that's how much I think it actually makes a difference. Not to say you should maximize all those variables, but I just mm-hmm. think this this specificity component that we're that we're talking about makes that it's yeah. not trivial, I guess is what I'm saying. It's not one or two think- percent.
1: I think it's, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely think that this is right. Like, it's not trivial. And, like, just the fact of, like, that, like, bringing, like, I'm thinking about, like, doing a ring to rim in the Grand Canyon, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Like, which is, like, it's like a buff, like, at least on, like, the south side, which is the one that I've done. It's, like, a trail that is, like, there's no rocks. It's not technical. It's, like, yeah. big downhill and then big uphill, right? Yeah. So, then, like, if you do that and then you put a trail runner and a road runner, I would like to see one of the marathon runners after they get to the bottom, uh, which is like what, like 10 miles? I don't remember. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah,
0: 11 but miles. Like yeah.
1: 10, 10 miles in which you lose like more than 1,000 meters from vertical. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Right? So it's like, well, are they going to be able to come out the other side they of going <laughs> rim to ring to ring? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. uh, when they get to the top of the other side, are they going to be able to come back and repeat that? Yeah. And I think that that physiology is going to have like a very big impact, yeah. which is like one of the things that will be trainable that yeah. they could train for. Yeah. That's why I said like in how many years?
0: Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah there you and go.
1: The other thing that I thought was important there is that one problem that we see many times in trail running Is that we have things that multiply your race by zero, Mm. like like one bad nutrition decision Mm. can like then it's a DNF. It's not like, and I think that like pro trail runners make those mistakes all the time. Like in every big race, you see like oh yeah, last UTMB, this guy and this guy didn't finish, right? Zero multiplication, much more likely for that. So like it's the ten percent. Plus the
0: increased likelihood of all of those things. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, too. Totally. All right. That's enough banter, Fred. We're gonna let you go, man. Cool paper. I'll link it up in the show notes, man. I'll link up all the accessory stuff in the show notes. And I also think one that if we kind of like read between the lines a little bit, which we always like have to do, we can come up with some really practical, uh, practical takeaways that will actually drive the training process and not just be something that we discuss in the bars. Yeah. So I appreciate you coming on, man.
1: Yep. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, folks there you have it. There you go. Much thanks to Coach Fred for coming on the podcast today and providing some insight into the paper that he was the lead author on. And I do think that some of this insight is something that only somebody who is involved within the research can actually provide us with. Yes, they have to produce a paper and that paper is available to the public at large. But when you actually talk to the researchers themselves, you're able to glean a lot more insight into what was actually going on, some of the strengths of the paper, some of the weaknesses of the paper, and most importantly, what we can take away from that in order to drive training practice. I hope you all appreciated that, especially some of the banter in the end around strength training. Somebody is going to yell at me afterwards and say that I am not an advocate for strength training because of that commentary. But I do think the fact that the trail runners had greater strength then the road runners, despite doing no strength at all, is a super interesting finding that you can provide your own color commentary on. Appreciate the heck out of Fred for coming on the podcast. I appreciate the heck out of you, all the listeners out there for bringing this podcast to light. As always, it is brought to you without sponsorships or endorsements in any way, shape, or form whatsoever in order to prevent any sort of financial entanglement with any of the commentary that we are providing on this uh, on this podcast. So it's you, the listeners, that are responsible for proliferating the podcast and making it what it is today. And I thank you very much for that. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends. You can do it right in the Apple Podcast app, If that is your preferred podcasting platform of choice, or you can do it across Spotify, it's very easy. Just click the share button, send a text message to one of your training partner homies, and hopefully they will enjoy this content as much as you did. That is it for today, folks. And as always, we will see you out on the trails.